This podcast is sponsored today by Janet Brooks, Realty One Group. Realty One Group has three locations to conveniently serve you in North Kansas City, Overland Park, and downtown Lee Summit. I can personally recommend Janet as she sold my house a couple of years ago when I was making a difficult life transition. She also just helped my parents downsize and sell their house to find a new home closer to my sisters. Janet is knowledgeable, compassionate, and caring as she works to help you through the real estate process. I would highly encourage you to check out Janet or any of the agents at Realty One Group. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Well, welcome to Spirituality Adventures. We are excited to have Case Dorman with us today. We're, we're so thankful for you to be on Spirituality Adventures. And I'd like to start just by getting uh, a little bit of your story, like, where, where did you grow up? Are you a Kansas City guy and, and uh, kind of where you went to high school and like how you met your wife? Give us a little bit of your, your background. Sure. Story. Yeah, so I did. Uh, I grew up in Kansas City, South Kansas City, went to Martin City Elementary School um, and then Grandview Junior High and high school. And, uh, and when I was in high school, I was actually playing high school tennis and uh, we were celebrating one night. It was a big, uh, big night out for us when we could go grab dinner out. And uh, we were driving by a little restaurant in Martin City called the Smokestack Barbecue. And we stopped and uh, we're going to grab dinner. And uh, they had a help wanted sign. And I uh, asked for an application and the uh, manager came to the table and he said, uh, this looks great. Can you start tomorrow? And I said, yeah, sure. I'm in. <laughs> And it uh, just happened the next day was Mother's Day. So uh, back in the uh, 70s, this, you know, Mother's Day was still the busiest day of the year for most restaurants. It's no longer our busiest day of the year, but it is for many restaurants and it was ours back then. And uh, so crazy first day I walk in, they say, okay, you're going to be the bean boy. And, uh, and so, you know, they just told me, they said, hey, scoop these beans into this crock and, uh, and warm them up. And when, you know, they need more, they're going to call for more beans. So you just keep the beans flowing, which is one of our, you know, uh, signature side dishes that we sell. And about 10 minutes into my shift, this crazy looking Italian guy with this wild Afro comes flying around the corner and he stuck his finger in one of the beans that I had just put in the counter. This is the seventies, mind you. So, mm-hmm. uh, so not the same, uh, sanitation practices we have today. And he looked at me and he, uh, he said, let me tell you something, you little, and I'm not going to repeat what he said. He said, you put up one more cold bean in my counter and you're fired. And I thought, wow, that really ticked me off. And I thought the next time that guy sticks a finger in something I put in the counter, I'm taking his skin off. And, <laughs> and, you know, I tell that story to our team because 
at that moment, I met my father-in-law, first of all. So right, uh, right. that was my first introduction <laughs> to my father-in-law. Uh, but at the same time, you know, what I've, what I've reflected on so many times since then is just his passion for what we did and his passion for getting it right and his passion for, you know, what his view of perfection looked like for our business. And he was going to tolerate no less than our very best work on every, you know, opportunity we had to do our best work. And, uh, and so that's, uh, that's been a rallying cry and, uh, and something we've talked about a lot in our company. So anyway, that was my, uh, First day of work in our company, and I went on to do other things. I met my wife at, uh, at my first job at the Smokestack Barbecue. My wife, Jennifer, was, uh, was working there. Her father owned the restaurant. And, uh, and first time I saw her, I looked at the guy next to me. I said, I'm asking that girl out. And he said, you will die. Her father is going to shoot you. He has a gun. He's an Italian, and he will kill you. And I said, all right. All right. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. And, uh, oh, wow. anyway, it took, uh, it took a while, but we, uh, we ended up going out and, uh, and dated for a number of years. I went on and, uh, how old were you when you started forward. working there, by the way? I was 16, 16. Okay. So yeah, yeah. My First. wife was 14 at the time. So, uh, wow. so it's been, uh, it's been a, uh, a long adventurous ride for us, but, uh, so I went on, I went to computer technology uh, school, uh, school similar to DeBry back in the uh, early 80s and uh, thought I was going to be a computer geek. And when my wife and I married, that was what I was doing. So I was, uh, I was a computer technician. She was a manager at the restaurant. And that was our life plan was she was going to keep working at the restaurant. I was going to keep uh, doing what I was doing. And, uh, and about a year into our marriage, um, our general manager of the uh, of the restaurant left, and I had started working the cash register at night. And my father-in-law looked at me and he said, "What do you think?" And I said, "I don't know. We didn't work too well together the first time." And uh, he <laughs> said, "Well, if it doesn't work, we'll know." And uh, and I said, "Yeah, I think we will know." So uh, so that started. Um, an adventure in our business that's, you know, been 34 years for me and an incredible ride and incredible ride for our business. And, uh, and so we have, uh, today we have, uh, nine different businesses that we own and operate. We have, uh, four children that I'm immensely proud of and two grandchildren and, uh, and yeah, it's been, uh, that's, been that's awesome. Blessing. So I was, I was looking up the the Jack stack story. I mean, I, you know, growing up here and then actually eating down at, at the Martin city one back in 80, 81, I remember being down there and I actually met your father-in-law in 80, 81, yeah. you know? Um, but uh, I didn't realize that his dad had started a uh, barbecue place, Russ Fiorella. So yes. I, I his, like I hadn't I didn't know that part. the smokestack actually. Okay. Which the smokestack that's still in Kansas City is that's the year. So there are no longer any smokestack restaurants. So at one time there were five, and the family rule when uh, Jack was the eldest son. And so Jack's parents started the business and their rule for the family was each child could have one smokestack restaurant that they could call their own in one location and a hundred year lease for the name. So, uh, so at one point 
uh, four of the other siblings opened their own restaurant and their mother and father still had their restaurant. So there were five at one time. Okay. And what's the one up here in the Northland off of North Oak? that? Is so that was his brother Russell's um, restaurant that was okay. probably open 99, maybe 2000. Okay. But it's, is this still, it's not going anywhere? No, no longer there. Oh, it wow. Only there I haven't been there in a year. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then somebody else bought it out, I guess, and turned yeah, it into it's a different, another restaurant different concept one. Yeah. right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, so he, ah, he did Smokestack. And so then Jack started his own deal in 1974. Was that right? He did. Yes. And that was the his Martin father City. Helped him uh, purchase the building out in Martin City. And that's when the Smokestack in Martin City originated. Awesome. Awesome. So, and you, when did you, you started working there the second time in what year, 80 something? 87. 87. Okay. Yeah. And then when did you become CEO? So, uh, so Jack was very, um, I mean, Jack, Jack was very entrepreneurial, but he was also a, uh, a planner. And in 1991, my brother-in-law and myself were both working in the business and, uh, and Jack set up a plan for us to buy his interest in the business over a 15 year period of time. So, um, so during that 15 years, I was buying into the business. I was managing partner. Uh, and then I became president around 2000. And then my wife and I purchased the business, finalized the purchase of the business from uh, my father-in-law in 2009. So that's when I became okay. CEO. Okay. 2009. And then you say, so there's, there's five restaurants in Kansas city now. Is that correct? Yes. Getting ready to open our sixth in Lenexa uh, next month. Oh, wow. Okay. So you got Martin City, you got Union Station, you got one on uh, Medcalf, right? Yes. I think I've been to those three. Uh, and then Plaza. Oh, yeah. I've been to the Plaza too. Yep. Yep. And Lee Summit. That's the only one I haven't been to. Okay. Yeah. And we're opening Lenexa. So. Lenexa. All right. And then you said you own nine businesses. Yeah, so we count each of the restaurants as a business unit, and then okay. we have uh, we have a shipping business where we ship our products nationally. Uh, we own a ready-to-eat USDA production facility that produces products for our shipping division and for a retail and wholesale division that we have. So, uh, so we have shipping, we have uh, wholesale and retail, and then we have um, our catering division, which is one of the largest restaurant-owned catering companies in the country, actually. Um, that we operate out of um, a, a event facility that we call Fiorella's that is at 137th in Antioch. So, uh, so we operate those two businesses out of this facility. Now, is that the, is that where I would have gone for the uh, T factor conference back, yes. back yes. in the spring? Okay. Exactly. That's yeah. I was down at, that's a great location. What, what was that before you guys bought that? So it was an event space. It was called the Ritz Charles and had been here for 20 years before we bought it. Okay. And we converted it into Fiorellas. Yeah, I've done, I think I've been to two events there now. One that, uh, I think one that Joe Calhoun put on there, yeah. um, maybe last year. And then, and then the yeah. T factor here just recently Great. or back in the spring, actually. Yeah. Well, cool. And the catering thing, I didn't realize the catering business was, the largest of its kind in, is that what well, you're one of the largest, one of um, 
So restaurant owned. So there are very large caterers uh, like Compass and like Aramark and, uh, and a lot of the large national groups that handle most of the convention centers around the country and also handle stadiums and that kind of thing. But on a local level, um, you won't find a lot of restaurant groups with substantial catering companies. And we started our catering company back in 1991 and just grew it slowly and steadily through the course of, you know, the last 30 years. And, uh, and it's become a substantial operation for us. That's great. That's great. So how many, with all these nine businesses, how many people are employed through? So we have a little over 800 right now. Wow. Wow. So let's, so let's talk about work culture um, and uh, spirituality and some of those kind of some of those kind of conversation things. How do you view work culture? Not not just the spiritual components, but just work culture in general. Yeah. So I, I've said a lot of times, Fred, I mean, work culture is really um, it's something you experience day by day, moment by moment. Right. I mean, you can, you can try to establish what you hope will be a culture in a workplace but it really is how you live moment by moment in that culture and how your uh, people experience that culture moment by moment that, uh, that dic- dictates what your culture is. So, uh, so we've worked very hard to, uh, to create a culture that, uh, that is you know, honoring of every individual that walks through our door and that you know, is respectful and, um, and you know, creates opportunities for each individual that works for us to, to in some way, improve their life, improve their, uh, who they are as a person and, and try to become the best version of them. So, uh, so it's incredibly important to us. I, you know, when I was young and I left working at the smokestack, I worked in other restaurants while I was going through school and, uh, and I experienced a lot of different restaurant cultures and, when I got the opportunity to come back to work with uh, with the family in 1987, one thing that was really important to me was I wanted us to do the restaurant business differently. I, uh, I had been in the industry for seven years at that point, and I really thought that, you know, it was an industry that didn't honor the people that worked in it as a general rule at the, uh, at the places that I have been a part of. And, uh, and I really wanted us to be a company that honored and respected the people that worked in our business and appreciated the value that they brought to our company. So, uh, so, you know, we set out to, to do that in 1987 and, uh, and my, you know, what I would always tell our team is if you work in our industry and you live in Kansas city, you should want to work for our business. We ought to be the place that that people want to work at if you're a professional in the restaurant industry in Kansas City. So. Mm. Yeah, so I like that concept of, I, I do think culture and workplaces are built little, little actions at a time, day in and day out, over the course of days and months and years, you know? I mean, yes. Your culture becomes how you how you speak to people, how you treat people, uh, how how you inspire people, um, and so and that that's 
So like, I, I, you know, a lot of businesses will go through vision, mission, core values and those kind of things and then not live them out. Right. Um, yes. So I love the fact that you took the idea of a holistic approach because several of the things you named there about people and, and what, you know, how you would value them and how you want them to be their best self. Yes. You want to, you want to contribute to the people that work for you being their best self. I mean, yeah. for me, that's a, that's a very holistic. And, uh, and when you think about like, I, you know, I, I'm, I was a, I'm a Bible teacher, right? So like the word Shalom in the Hebrew Bible, our old Testament is, is a word for holistic, uh, like, like not just peace emotionally, but it's, it has to do with your whole person, your spiritual life, your physical life, your health, your mental health, you know, your relational health, your spiritual, all those yeah. things are incorporated in that word Shalom. And it's such a beautiful greeting, but it's more than that. You know, it's a, uh, and so that, that's, that's amazing. Like I, I think to, to value people that work for you in that way is a spiritual part of the culture. Yeah. I hope that whole so, and I, I tell our team that if we're going to put words on the wall and we're going to say that something's important to us, we better be ready to live into that. And we better be ready to live that example. So, so, I mean, we have all those things. So our, our purpose statement is hope through hospitality and uh, you know, hope through hospitality for me personally is Jesus through hospitality. So I want people to, if they are part of our organization and interact with our family and interact with the leaders in our company, I want them to see something different here than they see in other businesses that they interact with. And it's not, you know, it's not in a, um, it's not in a preachy way that we do that. It's, it's in a way that we live our lives and that we care for people. And so I, you know, I share with my family that, that this is our ministry. This is where we get to impact the world for good. And we need to take this stewardship responsibility very seriously and do our best work in that space. And so, so that's, um, you know, and that's something that our team has really bought into, you know, I mean, I don't think if you ask my team what hope through hospitality was that they would tell you it's Jesus through hospitality. That's my heart, but for them, it's finding hope in the little things of the day, right? It's mm -hmm. finding hope in, you know, being able to help their coworker and lift up their coworker and, uh, in a moment of need or having, having someone walk into our business and, uh, and, you know, maybe they've suffered a tragedy, maybe they're just having a rough day and they walk into our business and we get to inspire them with a little hospitality that changes the way their day's going for them. And, uh, and so it's all these thousands of little interactions that we get to have every day that, that give us the opportunity to create hope for somebody else. Yeah, that's beautiful. Your own faith journey, um, is that something that uh, started when you were young? Is it, if you mapped out your own spiritual journey, what do you have, like there are some highs and lows, was there a turning point in your life where it became more important? Yes. Yes. So I would, uh, I would say I was a, uh, I was an intellectual believer. So I went to church as a kid, but uh 
but you know my my mother remarried I had a stepdad we stopped going to church as much when I was in junior high and high school and uh and I wouldn't say I you know I ever doubted my faith I mean I never really doubted Christ I never doubted God I uh I always knew, um, I always felt the presence of God, but I, I certainly was not pursuing it. And, and I was also a, uh, a list maker and a goal setter. So for me, you know, life was all about achievement and accomplishment and, uh, and a lot about numbers, you know, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a numbers guy anyway, numbers for me are fun. So, uh, so I would measure all of my accomplishments by, by those things, by, you know, being able to complete something from my list or accomplish the next goal that I'd set or, you know, hit a numbers goal that I had for myself or for the business. And, uh, and all those things, you know, were happening for me. I was having great success and accomplishing a lot of those goals. And, and I had found myself in a, in a place at work where, I was working really hard. I was, God has, had really beaten me down uh, uh, pretty well. And, uh, and I realized that, that all of those things were empty. And, uh, and I thought, so I really had, I had a powerful conversion moment that led to a conversion period for me. Um, and it was really, you know, it was really the Holy Spirit just coming and grabbing me and saying, this is not what life is for. Mm. And I have something else to show you. And, you know, I was, I was at a point where I was beaten down enough that I was ready to listen. And, uh, and so that, you know, that was, I was 35 years old. So that was um, Mm. 24 years ago, almost 24 years ago when, uh, when that happened. Yeah. Were you, were you on a, was this kind of a private moment? Were you in a some type of yeah. a retreat or group setting, or no, more of a private I was driving moment? to work one morning? Huh. I was in my truck driving to work, and I was actually driving by our home parish. So, um, my wife is a cradle Catholic, so uh, so our entire family uh, was Catholic. I was baptized Methodist and never converted to the Catholic Church thought I was going to when I got married and I got into the process. And of course I was in the restaurant business. So I worked every weekend. So, uh, so it was very easy for me to make excuses that I was too busy to finish the conversion process. And, uh, and I never did. And so I was actually driving by my church and just felt this very powerful presence, uh, telling me you need to be here. And I called up the church on the spot that day. I had my cell phone in the car. I called up the church. I said, I want to join the church. Mm. And I'd been attending with my wife. My wife went every Sunday forever. She was a great witness to me and had our kids in church. And, uh, and I would go when it was convenient. So I never fought it. I never fought her. I was not, you know, it wasn't anything I disagreed with for our family, but I wasn't pursuing my own spiritual journey. And, uh, and at that moment that all changed. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and very selfishly, I, uh, I started doing that for me because I knew I needed it. Hmm. Did you find, uh, you know, did you find some helpful mentors along the way? Um, did, 
was that a part of your growth, your spiritual growth? Yeah, for was sure. I mean, one of the greatest things that happened through that time. So I, I was clearly going through the RCIA process at church, but I found uh, a group of men that were doing a morning Bible study. And, uh, and one uh, man in particular, his name's John Duggan. He's an attorney here in town. And, uh, and John just had a passion for discipling new believers. And, uh, and I joined his Bible study and it was, I mean, it was life-changing for me. So I did that for two or three years with, uh, with that group. And then I went on to do a lot of other studies and this was a non-Catholic, this was just a Christian Bible study. So mm -hmm. I was the only Catholic in that group, but, but I knew I was being fed and I knew I loved it. And I knew it was a group of men that, um, that I wanted to be around. So mm. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, it's interesting in the last year, um, there's a, there's a Catholic, uh, guy by the name of Richard War, that's a mm -hmm. Franciscan, um, guy that, uh, you know, I, I'd never read his books up until this last year. And somebody gave me one of his books kind of in the middle of what I'd been going through, which was a really challenging time a couple of years ago can still be challenging at times, but, um, it was a book called falling upward. And so I, you know, I'd kind of gone through this personal crisis and, and, um, oh man, it was like, it, it just kind of like had a, you know, and I'd been solid on my faith for, for decades. Right. I came to, yeah. I came to Christ when I was a teenager. So I've been like following Jesus and teaching the Bible since I was like 17, but, uh, man, I went through this time and it got so dark and uh, a friend of mine from uh, the national prayer breakfast so sent me, actually mailed me this book by Richard Moore, Falling Upward. Wow. I, I started reading it and it just rekindled uh, my faith, which was such a huge part of, you know, kind of what I'm doing now with spirituality adventures and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And then mentors are so critical, I think, to our growth and those kind of things. So your own spiritual growth, did that, did this then begin to help you with the, uh, the work culture? part of this oh, and so much you know i've told a lot of people fred that i thought i trusted people before i knew the lord but i didn't even really have a concept of what trust was you know it was always a very conditional trust right i trust you as long as i can see you doing everything that i need you to do or everything that i want you to do right everything was very conditional and uh and the fact that the fact that this happened at the time that it did in my life and in our business's um, life was uh, was completely transformational for us and completely transformational from our family. I think if you were to ask uh, my father-in-law, Jack, if you were to ask my wife, if you were to ask somebody else in our family, um, I mean, my faith journey really transformed my family's faith journey hmm. because everybody got more excited about their faith when they saw how dramatically it had impacted my life and and began to see how dramatically it was impacting our business so uh so yes it uh it really changed how i looked at business i i saw business um you know i came to the realization that that god really owns it all and that 
our role is to be a steward of the gifts that he's provided us. And so when my family, when we come together and we talk about business, that's, you know, those are, those are basic operating guidelines that we try to live into every day is that we're not here to serve our purpose. We're here to serve his purpose. And, and then, you know, we get to go to work doing that work, which is a lot more fun than doing work to serve ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think services, uh, honestly, uh, an outflow of spirituality as well, you know, and service to, so you're, and you have this, you've built this culture where you're, you want to be a blessing to your employees. You want to bring hope to the people that you serve through your business, but you want to be a, do that with your employees. Um, and I'm sure you probably do that in ways for the city too. Like, I'm like, I bet you there's a, a lot of ways that you serve the city, Kansas city or the greater Kansas yeah. city area as a way to express that kind of stewardship and, and gratitude. We, do. we don't talk about it. We have a giving mis- mission as a company and it's to uh, feed and care for the least fortunate in our community. So, uh, so that's something we're passionate about. You know, we do a lot of work with City Union Mission. Um, we're a um, substantial um, donor to the mission. And then we also do um, Hope Faith uh, is another mission that feeds the homeless in the inner city of Kansas City. And, and so we've been doing this for, I think we must be going on close to 10 years, eight or 10 years. So Uh, We take a day every month and each of our business units has their day where they will go and they will serve at Hope Faith uh, lunch to the homeless communities down there. It's completely voluntary. Nobody's ever compelled to go. The the stores themselves put their team together and they go into the community and they serve lunch to uh, the homeless. And, you know, I, I put it on the table all the time. I said, look, if, if this is not working, if the team's not, you know, feeling great about this, you guys need to let me know. And, and the team just, they love it. They've, uh, they've, they're really committed to it. Uh, new people that jump in uh, onto our team, they'll go down, they'll serve, they, uh, they fall in love with it. So, um, so that's been a way that we've been able to take kind of my family's passion for, for caring for the least fortunate and share that with our team and let our team be a part of that and, uh, and let them get to see, you know, what it's like to go into community and serve those who are most in need. So that's great. That's great. That was one of my passions when I was a uh, senior pastor of Vineyard church was to serve our city. And um, yeah. I think, I think Desiree is the uh, founder of hope. She Faith. was. Yeah. Yeah. She was yeah, Desiree's my- moved on. Yeah. Okay. She was one of my pastors. Uh, yeah. And then uh, we, we partnered with city union mission. Gosh, we part, we were, I think we were this, I think Catholic charities was the largest distributor of harvesters. And I think, I think our church was one of the top second, third or fourth right in there. Uh, wow. You know, the way we served the whole, you know, and then I partnered with a lot of the urban core churches in yeah. both the Hispanic and African-American communities, Kansas city, Kansas, can't say Missouri. And yeah, that's still a big passion of mine. I'm man. It's great to hear that you're doing that. I love that. Uh, yeah, I think we, it's, uh, we love the work for, you know, my wife and I, you know, we're also passionate about discipleship. You know, we, uh, 
we're passionate about how to, you know, how to share our faith um, in our community and outside of our community. And so, uh, so we're, you know, we do work with a lot of groups that, uh, that promote that kind of discipleship yeah. work as well. So. Yeah. Well, I just, I, I told you this, I just interviewed Mark Whitaker um, just yeah. a week ago. And, you know, when I went to that conference at your, at, at your place, uh, I was not expecting to hear a story like Mark Whitaker's. Yeah. You know, he led off that thing last spring. This, and for those who are listening, this would have been, I think, spring of, wasn't it 2021 that we did that? I think. Um, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, that first one. Yeah, it was earlier this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got, you know, I wasn't expecting to hear this guy from, you know, get gets put in federal prison for, you know. <laughs> Yes. price fixing the largest price fixing scheme in American history. It's like, Holy crud. I remember watching that movie, the informant, but I didn't, I didn't, but anyway, what a fascinating guy. And I'm curious. Um, they, they put a lot of things on the table at their T factor conference. And for those who listening and didn't hear the Mark Whitaker interview, uh, he's with Coke consolidated and a part of what a part of their mission is to help, CEOs around the country, I think, to realize how they can build more faith-based friendly environments in their work culture. And yeah. I'm not sure that's probably not wording it correctly, but it's, it's along those lines. And yes. they, they put a lot of things on the table that, uh, that CEOs kind of can adopt and take home with them. Did you end up with some takeaways from that conference? We did. And, you know, we, we, have been doing a lot of the things that, uh, that they do, but definitely, you know, the corporate chaplain is something that, uh, that we've used in the past and, uh, and had available to our team. Uh, so we, we do a number of things that are, um, maybe a little bit different. We have a corporate, uh, benevolence fund. We call it an employee assistance fund. And essentially my wife and I funded that with the initial investment and then we went to our team and we said, hey, we want to create a pool of cash that if somebody on our team has a family emergency or they have a need, they can come and ask and we can provide that for them. We can care for them in, in an emergency situation. And we presented it to our team and the team said, hey, we want to participate too. Um, and so they all started contributing to it. So we give them the opportunity when they, uh, when they go through orientation and they sign up as an employee, you can give, you can give a dime, a paycheck. If you want to, you can give a quarter, you can give a dollar, you can give whatever you want to give. You don't have to give anything at all, but what it's, what it's happened is it's built this large pool of funds inside of our company that when, when somebody has a need, they lose a loved one, they have a family tragedy, um, their car breaks and they can't afford to fix their car or care for their family in the way that they need to, they can come and it's, uh, it's run by the employees. So, uh, so our team runs the, uh, runs the fund. They can come to them and they say, Hey, I need, you know, I need help with this. And, uh, and they can grant them. It's not a loan. It's a grant. They just, uh, they just get the cash. So, uh, so that's one of the things we do, but, you know, we do a lot of things. We really use our hope through hospitality, um, we have a special um, Facebook site for Hope Through Hospitality where people can share stories about finding hope. 
uh, at work or at home or wherever they are in life, they can uh, they can share those stories and that's encouraging for people and helps them. We actually, one of my favorite stories when COVID happened last year, you know, we pivoted and really started focusing on carry out activity through our restaurants and how do we do carry out well. And, uh, and what we found was that the community was so appreciative and so extremely generous at that time that the tips were off the chart. I mean, people were leaving a $20 tip for a $20 order, right? Mm. And our team that was working in carryout came to us and they said, this is ridiculous, man. I've never gotten paid this much money. And <laughs> we got people here who are losing their, their hours and they can't feed their family. And, you know, we want to help. And so we, again, we went to our team and we said, hey, what do you think? I mean, we're getting, you know, an inordinate amount of tip income here. How about if we take this and we create a fund for our team that's hurting right now during COVID? Maybe they're not getting the hours that they need. Maybe their family has some special needs. And so everybody on our team agreed. We took half the tips for, for each day of, uh, of traffic that we got through the store and we just created a pool and that pool stayed in the store and it was a no questions asked thing. If somebody on the team needed money, they came and they asked and they, uh, and the general manager gave them cash and, uh, and a really cool moment. So, so people who were not a part of the restaurant team in other parts of our company started hearing about this and they said, well, I want to help too. And, uh, and I'm going to, I'll try not to get choked up on this story, but I had a gal that worked in our catering sales office and she came into our president's office and she said, I have been looking for a church to join and I've been saving so that I could tithe when I got there. And she said, this feels a lot like church to me. Here's what I've been saving. Hmm. And she gave him a check for a couple thousand dollars. Wow. Gives me chills. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful hope story. And, you know, there's countless stories like that, that we have that, you know, we get a share inside of our company and, uh, and it just, you know, it's, it's so a lot of those practices are things that we've tried to put into um, practice on a daily basis inside of our company so that our team knows and feels cared for and knows how important they are. And then we do, uh, we have started meeting with prayer for a long time, um, especially our executive meetings. We, uh, we start with prayer and, you know, usually it's whoever wants to, uh, who wants, whoever wants to lead. Um, sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's one of my sons. Sometimes it's, you know, one of our other leaders that just feels, uh, led to pray before, uh, before we meet. So, yeah, yeah that's great. You know, I think a lot of CEOs worry about, you know, crossing boundaries that they shouldn't cross or, you know, those kind of things. And I think, I think when you're not preachy about it, when you just make it as an offering and then, you, you build in these spiritual core values that everybody appreciates, whether they're no matter what their faith background, you know, people are going to appreciate benevolence and serving yes. and serving the poor and taking care of each other and having a work environment where people can grow to their best self. And, you know, all those, all those core values are super spiritual and, 
rooted in deep spirituality, but if you're not forcing it, it's just a part of the culture and, and it's, and you have all these options for people that are available. I mean, think about the care that people get when they're in crisis, when they're in need, when they're, you know, what, whatever's going on, um, you show up for, you know, if I could, Fred, you know, one of the things that during my conversion was, you know, I realized that I had been looking around at a lot of people's lives that, that seemed to have a different, a different balance than my life had, right? Things that were, that seemed, you know, crushing to me didn't crush them. They, uh, they responded differently to, uh, to tough things going on in their life. And, uh, and it caused me to reflect and say, what, what's different about them? And that's really what we strive to accomplish, right? We don't want to tell you, you know, it's Jesus through hospitality. We want you to be here and be with us and look around and say, what's different here? Mm-hmm. And is this attractive to me? Do I, do I want to be a part of this? And, and, you know, does this, does this help me become a better person? So, yeah, I love that. That's wonderful. Well, man, thank you so much for, for taking time um, and uh, doing this interview. I know that there'll be people, there'll be people outside of Kansas city that are listening. Of course, one of my favorite questions to people that I didn't ask you is what, what's your uh, top three favorite barbecue places in Kansas city. That's what I, <laughs> Let's see. Can I go Jack stack, Jack stack, Jack stack. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will but, say, um, so there's so many great barbecue restaurants in Kansas city and I haven't even been to all the new ones. I've heard the Jones sisters is really, really good. I haven't tried um, that one. My wife and I have had Gates barbecue sauce in our refrigerator for as long as I can remember. I mean, it is a staple <laughs> at our house. We love that barbecue sauce. And, uh, and you know, I, I mean, I'd still think it's one of the great sauce recipes out there. Um, but Joe's does a great job. Q does a great job. I mean, we just, we have, it's such a great competitive environment in Kansas city right now. And and everybody kind of has their niche, right? They have their group that they appeal to. And uh, and so many people cross over now too, you know, where they may go to one, you know, one week and another one the next week. And uh, and so it's just the, the fact that we have the barbecue culture and level of excellence that we have in Kansas City, it's a rising tide that lifts all boats for sure. That's great. So yeah, for all the folks that are listening from outside Kansas City, uh, we, you know, Kansas city's got the best barbecue in America. That's just, that's just a fact. Right. And so <laughs> I totally agree. And then, and then honestly, uh, when I give people top three choices, they'll usually pick one that's a little bit obscure, yeah. but then, but then yours always usually lands in the top three, like without any prompting at all. So, uh, uh, and you guys do a great job and you're, you're not only serving great food, but you're serving our city with compassion and with uh, hope. And I'm, I'm thankful for your work. Appreciate it. Thanks. And, uh, and so, yeah, um, people can, uh, you know, people who aren't from Kansas city, uh, when you come be sure and check out Jack stack Fiorella at their five different locations, six 
in a month, there'll be a six location, pretty much any part of the city that you're in, you can find one. We got to get one up in the, the Northland though, right? So we're poking around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm an old North, I graduated in Park Hill. So, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a long time Northlander. So at any rate, yeah. Well, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. What's your website? jackstackbbq.com jackstackbbq.com and you guys cater around the country as well we do that's for for all different types of events yes okay yeah we ship a lot of the stuff that we do now is is we'll ship product in and you know a chef somewhere locally will uh will prepare our product that we ship in so okay but we'll go all right we'll go uh we'll go anywhere they ask us to Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us at Spirituality Adventures. Yeah. And uh, thank you. And thanks for your work with this. This is uh, this is inspiring to people. And uh, and that's what it's all about. I've, I've shared with many people. There's just this uh, incredible groundswell in Kansas City right now. of Christian business owners that are um, really stepping out in faith and running their businesses uh, in alignment with their faith. And it's uh, it's a blast to be a part of. That's great. Well, thank you so much. And everybody, thanks for joining in with Spirituality Adventures, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is sponsored today by Janet Brooks, Realty One Group. Realty One Group has three locations to conveniently serve you in North Kansas City, Overland Park, and downtown Lee Summit. I can personally recommend Janet as she sold my house a couple of years ago when I was making a difficult life transition. She also just helped my parents downsize and sell their house to find a new home closer to my sisters. Janet is knowledgeable, compassionate, and caring as she works to help you through the real estate process. I would highly encourage you to check out Janet or any of the agents at Realty One Group. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation. Or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.